Shafee. Shafee, are you there? Night has fallen once more over the hill country surrounding Austin, Texas. Here I sit in the bright light of my brother's kitchen, where I'm still banished from my ivy-covered castle down, uh, down in East Austin, over by the cemetery. Uh, happy to happy to be here. Actually, I'm really super excited about uh, the updates that are happening to my house but I am I am the king in exile for the time being and that's uh, that's the way things go uh, very happy to be talking to you tonight very happy to be bringing you some classic segments uh, such as things I learned from the internet via books I read and uh, and whatever else might be in store for us here on the 108th episode of One Magical Hour. Uh, we'll get around to all that shortly. Before uh, before we do that, we've got to check in with our friend, the uh, the cartographer of the New Age, the man who, uh, who explores through his art the cosmology of our minds, and uh, through, his, through his children's folk songs, the cosmology of our children's minds, the pride of Tarzana, California. Matthew Rampy. Hot summer streets and the pavements are burning. I podcast now. Trying to talk, but the air is so heavy and dry. Strange voices are casting. What did Shafe say? Things I can't understand. It's too close for comfort. This podcast is out of hand. It's a cruel, cruel podcast. Shafe and me here on our own. It's a cruel, <laughs> cruel podcast. It's not really that cruel. It's, it's mostly kind and gentle, and we made a point from the very beginning to always be very positive. We wanted our podcast to have a positive vibe, right? Yes. And uh, you know, and we also knew, we also knew getting into this that there were going to be some days that we were high energy, and some days when we were lower energy. And those lower energy days might correspond with days when it is really hot and humid outside. And uh, maybe you have been working to clean and empty out your apartment for <laughs> what seems like weeks. Um, but... Well, let's say there's already some things I want to parse here. Let's slow down. <laughs> Let me start with, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing, doing very good, actually. But you have been both working, working over your bar, working your bar and moving your things and i think as chronicled here shafe has a lot of things <laughs> i do indeed i have less things now i'm proud to report 
I wouldn't call you a hoarder. I think you're more of a collector. A collector curator. Yeah. Um, With perhaps some tendencies. I was fortunate enough to be at the Ivy Covered Castle recently, and it, I was reminded of how how many cool things you have, and been, and that all really becomes comes clear into focus for a human when they go to move, right? Yeah, and I've always found you know places that were not necessarily cluttered, but just places that were definitely packed. Packed with as much stuff as you can possibly put in there. I find that comfortable, like cozy, you know. Uh, I don't, I, but it's weird because I, I also like, I also like an empty space too. Like, uh, I like the you know clean lines and um, so. So I mean, I guess I guess it's good for me because I could go either way. Uh, but it also, yeah, it allows me to really dig in and. Uh, <laughs> When it comes time, but I'll tell you, like the place is, place is perfectly, perfectly clean now. Um, That's a lovely feeling. And ready to, you know, ready for ready for another decade of of uh, collecting strange strange objects. Once, I'm really excited about just yeah the, <laughs> the new uh, the new thing. I I had a chat with. Uh, Linda, my landlord, about because she does, she's really into design and stuff. So she wanted to talk about. She asked me if I had any thoughts on color, and uh, and I said, well, you know, I do, but I I don't know much about this. I would like you know, I kind of I would like your help. So yeah, she she like brought over some things in mind. We just talked, you know, I talked about how there's a lot of wood accents in my house. And they're, they tend to be darker on the darker side. And so I wanted, you know, something kind of bright colored. So uh, we're kind of having like, that basically the wall by the street that used to be red is going to be kind of this bright turquoise blue. Okay. And then the opposite wall, which would be the wall in the bedroom behind the bed, you know, the other extreme of the small end of the house is going to be kind of more like a, more like an ocean blue. A more subdued blue, okay. Um, and then the door is going to be the same brightly colored uh, blue, turquoise blue as the accent wall. So I'm really excited about it. I'm I, I really like you know I like funky colors and uh, and weird stuff. So that's cool that you were in on some of those decisions. Yeah, you know when I was young, when I was younger, I moved a lot. I, in fact, I think when I was 27 years old, I had had 27 residences. Wow. Yeah. And actually, since then, I've only had three. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making up for it. I'll, I'll be in my house almost uh, uh, 10 years. And oh, I'll be here 10 years in November. Longest I've ever lived anywhere, for sure. And, uh, but, but I know that process of moving. And I know how it can be great in terms of just decluttering your life. You know, but my dad moved us around. This is just in Lubbock. We would just move houses and he would toss out anything that we weren't currently using. So I'm, I am not a collector. I, I'm a minimalist. I, I really, and I still have a 
habit of just like getting rid of stuff. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't gotten rid of that thing. I could have, you know, could use it now. But I, I like having less, I'm trying for less stuff all the time. It's hard when you live somewhere for a long time, you know, in this society, it's just, you can just really collect stuff. And on like, you don't, you don't even have to really be shopping or buying anything and stuff will come to you still. And you know, Matthew, just because you have something doesn't mean a you can find it, when yeah, you right. need it and b that you even remember that you have it when you need it. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, that's and I do I do some of that. Be like, oh, you know, I can use this sometime, and I hold on to it. But that's different from you like collecting like you know poems that friends penned, and you know. Yeah. Uh, on special parchment paper, you got your whole section of that. And, yeah. Um, or unusual art by my friends. I have a treasure trove of that. You probably have a whole file cabinet of ideas written down on bar napkins. <laughs> I, I, would, I would imagine. I don't know that for sure. But, um, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, getting a refresh on your space is going to be really awesome. I'm, um, but we were talking about this because it's possible that one or both of us might be a little low energy tonight. Was that, was that you? Uh, yeah, you know, but just, just in, in, just in the last five minutes of conversation, I feel much more. Uh, okay. That's good. Me too. Me too. I, and I'm very, I'm very low energy myself too. I hope that my rendition of Bananarama made that clear as day uh, that I'm a little down. I'm a little low energy. It's um, man, there's the heat and then there's the, there's working in the heat. I'm doing a little of that. And then there's the relentlessness of parenting after working in the heat and then yeah. playing in the heat with my kids. And then um, I, I gotta say, We've never shied away from this topic, but, um, or maybe we have, maybe we just get, we t everybody got tired of this topic. We thought this topic was a thing of the past, the pandemic. Oh man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I'm really kind of down, uh, uh, over that, you know, uh, as I'm sure you are and many, many people are as well. Like there was those brief moments in June where it just seemed like, we're coming out of it, man. I'm vaccinated. I'm good, you know, but it, I don't think that's what's happening. Doesn't oh. sound like it sounds like, uh, you know, I mean, from if you look at the news, which, you know, is never, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a gamble at best. Every time. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems entirely possible that we could be, end up in an even worse situation than we were off before. It's, uh, it's really, and I've heard some, some things, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I get the various news feeds and, you know, through my phone and I was laughing, oh, which is a bad idea for anxiety. Yeah. But it's also, it's also fun if you like to keep an eye on the news, which I do. Sure. Sure. Um, and yeah, I, really uh, vanity fair, has in particular, they've just dropped the gloves and they obviously just like, their give a shit is broken. Um, 
they have had like their their headlines say things like Florida Governor, you know, DeSantis actively pursues legislation to give more children COVID. You know, like it's like because that's the upshot of what he's doing. You know, and like Vanity Fair is obviously like if they're going to do this, we're just going to report it exactly as it is, and that alone is just fucking bananas. <laughs> we're we're in a dangerous time where um, the truth means nothing. You know, and there's all these, there's all these alternate realities. And, you know, I was watching this thing on Netflix called uh, How to Be a Tyrant, I think. And it's like each episode focuses on a different tyrannical ruler. Like the first episode is Hitler. The second episode is uh, Idi Amin. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, am I missing? I'm missing one here. Got Pol Pot in there somewhere? Um, well, I, I just watched the episode on Stalin last night. And um, it was making me, <laughs> I don't know. It's hitting too close to home with like the bending of the truth by those in power. Um, you know, Matthew. And, and discrediting science and censoring and just like it's just telling you what you need to hear i feel like i take some comfort in, in that matthew though because it's nice to know that this shit has always been going on sure and, you know the world is right on turning and that's what i think is gonna you know like it's obvious that there's you know there's people out there who don't want to they don't want the truth they want to believe what's most comforting to them and i guess maybe i understand that to some level and, you know, they, they're going to, the networks, the people out there who are just making money off of, you know, creating content, they're going to pander to those people. They are going to, as long as there's money to be made, they're going to create the kind of content that they like, you know, that comforts them, no matter if it's truthful or not, it's going to happen. And so I just, I think there's going to be just more, more of a rift to where, like, you know, they're, they're ensconced in theirs, and we're ensconced in ours, and, you know, you would only look at someone just to be like, see what the other people are doing, you know, but, you know, you, you know it'll be more, even more compartmentalized than it already is, and, you know, I don't even know if that's a bad thing, you know, there's, it's not like, it's not like anybody believes what's going on now, so what, what does it matter, um, you know, You'll, you'll keep living your life and, you know, out there in the real world where the rubber meets the road, either, you know, either you get vaccinated and your kids live or, you know, you don't and a large you dies or, you know, can't get health care or, uh, you know, has uh, problems getting, you know, uh, Planned Parenthood uh, help. You know, that's all stuff that... You know, if if you want to roll the dice and you want to go that direction, I mean, all, all right, I guess, I guess, good luck with that. And you know, I I do feel bad for the, you know, the uh, the lower income, you know, the people in the lower income bracket who find themselves in these healthcare deserts, 
uh, because of bad legislation and bad policy. Um, but I'm not sure what to do about it at this point. Well, I think you're, I mean, I know you're, you're talking about like a holistic idea here, but um, you're a little off topic. Let's, Sorry. <laughs> let's bring it, let's bring it back to uh, the current, well, I mean the issue, okay, let me, let me say this. I was looking at, wait, no, 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 no. Let me back it up again. No, 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 no. Come on. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, there I was. Um, the schools, we're going to send our kids to school. We did a pod last year. But we're going to send our kids to school. And we were following closely what the schools were going to do about safety protocols and, and masks. And I'm, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm dead set on the kids going in person. This, the, the distance learning was garbage for my kids. Like, come on, kids need to be with kids. Um, uh, parents have to work, you know. Yeah. And it's the best thing. Like the being isolated for the kids was like a terrible last year. So we're just going to continue with that. But we we would feel safer if everybody would wear a mask at school. And I, I saw on Instagram today, like just a post about, oh, the school district has decided to mandate masks going against our insane governor's orders, right? You were talking about DeSantos earlier. We, we got Abbott and then yeah. like, they're, pal they're pandering to the same base. Amy's like, what are they doing? And I'm like, well, they're pandering to this group of people that that's all they want to hear. All they want to hear is my personal liberties are the most important thing. And you're not going to tread on them for one second. I'm not going to turn my attention to the common good. This, this was all, I think this was always going to tear this country apart. <laughs> the, the desire to just be an individual and don't tread on me. Th that's great when you're like getting away from a monarchy, but at this sort of, late stage oh what did i have i i, I <laughs> so unsmooth i had written some oh this rapacious late stage capitalism that we're living in um you know it, like there's no concern for the common good and so like but then there's this other thing i saw this instagram post just like oh the school's doing this thing and then i got lost in the comments and <laughs> People were saying things like, well, masks don't work. You got to follow the science. <laughs> I mean, that's been proven. Masks don't work. I mean, I mean, technically, the virus is smaller than the weave of the mask. But see, it has to travel on droplets yep. that are bigger than the weave of the mask, you dumb fuck. And if we're all wearing them... There's none of those droplets in the air. I was with a guy, Lay and Tile, a guy we all know, capital K, Lay and Tile for three days. And then he tested, po this was back in November, he tested positive for COVID. And I, me and my family tested negative because we were wearing masks the whole time. You know? And like, I don't know. But I, listen, I'm just bummed because there were those bright shining moments when like I went to the to the lost well to see 
<laughs> the sea shanty band yeah Saturday, like you know and just being in a crowd of people again but i'm i, I gotta go back to being super careful like you know my fam that's why we're not shafe and i had started sitting together to cast but i don't i don't think we should do that right now you know mm. and, i was excited i thought i can see it in it i know i know listen uh, we can i think we can see each other but it's got it's outside yeah we can, you and i can't sit right next to each other at a laptop you yeah know? i get it i you know we had some exciting exciting news exciting thing happening uh brian benitez is supposed to come up on saturday so he and i can go to the paramount to see Edie Brickell and the new bohemians oh shit! wow um who i last saw in 1991, I think, at the depot in downtown <laughs> Texas. Um, but we'll in see Lubbock? if I, we'll see if you I saw even, them in Lubbock. Yeah, in the ninth grade. <laughs> wow, your parents are so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um. Wow, well, that sounds like a great show, but now you're like, hmm, do we do that? Yeah. Do we go sit and, in a theater? And I think if the show's still going on, then we'll, then we'll go to it. That's, you know, like, yeah. I, I trust that the Paramount's policies, and um, so we'll see. And then uh, Lucas Markbart is coming into town this weekend, too, so. Oh, Wow. Well, that's a, a big of, weekend. A lot of exciting things. Yeah. My uh, my summer vacation starts on Saturday, so. Okay, so you're off for how long? Two weeks. Oh, wow. What are you doing? Maybe more like ten days. I don't know. Uh, definitely gonna go visit my pops, uh, and maybe the moms too. All right. And then maybe out to maybe make it all the way out to Durango with uh, Dick and Kathleen. I see. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This I know this is the kind of quality programming that this is what everybody tunes in for. No, I, I mean, we, listen, we don't have anything prepared in terms of other content. I thought I thought tonight would just be very personal. Yeah. I do have one. I do have one section. The uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you, you could call it a yield workshop, I think, or you could call it a, a Wikipedia history lesson. Okay, let's look, let's circle back around to that. But just real quick, I want to bore the listenership with one other personal tragedy tidbit. Mm -hmm. There's a pecan tree in my backyard. Like I say, I've been in this house almost 10 years. And this pecan tree has been, it's been dying, like, pretty much the whole time that we've been here, you know, it's just been slowly dying. It's a big old, beautiful pecan. And when, I, when we bought the house, I was really like, you know, it's nice. Is this awesome shady pecan tree? And it's just, I've just, I, we probably should have taken it down, but I've just let it die. Cause like it wants to live like a big, a part of it will be dying. And then in the center, it will be growing new limbs. But finally now it is really coming down and 
many years ago, Adam helped me cut a couple of big sections out and those sections made a Y. Okay. On the, on one branch of the tree, these, these two sections made a Y and they were two big, two really probably 10 inch in diameter, uh, branches of the tree up high, making a Y imagine it in your head. So in June, in, in a, a windy day, one arm of the Y came down on its own. It was so, it's so ready to come down. And so now there's just one arm of the Y, the left arm of the Y. Yeah. And I can see that that needs to come down too. So I have this idea in my head that I'm going to, I'm going to take a rope and I'm going to get that. I'm going to get the rope up there uh -huh. and just pull, you know, I'm going to pull yeah. it down. Cause I can see at the base, it's pretty much rotted out. It needs to come down. And Matthew, so, uh, Matthew, please make sure that your wife is filming this when it happens. <laughs> this was happening actually today. Um, <laughs> I was like, I have a, a good rope from the last time I was like removing tree stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm, my son and I were just throwing the football and I was like, let's, let's see if we can address this. We come in the garage and it's like, I need something heavy to tie to the rope, to throw up over the <laughs> arm of the Y. And I found this like Tonka truck, like a mid-sized Tonka truck. Oh and my so, God, I love everything about this story. So I'm, I'm, I've, I've tied the end of the rope to the Tonka truck and now I'm swinging the Tonka <laughs> truck in my hand like, um, like, like I'm roping a calf, like I'm doing yeah. a calf roping kind of thing. Oh, and I can and I'm on my deck and I'm I'm tossing that Tonka truck up trying to get it over the left arm of the Y of the dead pecan. Listen, I'm in mourning over this pecan. I have been yeah. the whole time I'm here. I'm so sad I'm losing this tree, but now it's become a, a danger to the to people that, uh, who might be playing ball underneath and such. Yeah. And so I get the I did get the, I, after many attempts, I was getting real close with the Tonka truck, getting it over the Y. And I finally did get it up there. And Isabel and I were pulling on it. And um, I, w I have not been able to bring the Y down. The Y stands. The, the Y still stands. It, was, it wasn't quite ready to come down. You know? After I got the rope around it and was pulling from the ground, said i want to live yeah so i i yeah it's just sometimes it's hard to say goodbye it's I'm so glad. hard I'm glad to say goodbye what, what's that i'm glad that story did not end in any physical injury um, no, yeah I, I, it was <laughs> it was fraught with peril <laughs> it sounds sounds like it i uh, i know how you feel about the countries the countries have an almost uh an almost uh, religious like uh, uh, status in our family. Um, I, I thought y'all were Catholic. Yeah. Well, no. Mom, you know, mom was Catholic, and I was raised Catholic. But dad was never, never Catholic. He was, he was always Pecanist. Always what? Pecanist. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. But well, I think it's common in Texas to, you know, like, you know, having three or 
two or three really nice pecan trees, like that increases the value of your property, you know? There's, there's a certain group who values that highly. I mean, I can see myself being sad over the death of all kinds of trees. Pecans are weird, too, because they do end up just kind of falling apart. They're self-pruning anyway. Mm. And, like, parts of them die and fall off all the time. And then, like I say, the, the, the center of the pecan keeps growing these smaller limbs. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's all part of the death of the tree. Anyway, this is all in our theme of not-so-positive tonight. Tough times. <laughs> We're going through some tough times. Let's get to the segments. Hey, there's the, there's the robot. The robot was was missing from the last few episodes because we were. I was like on the road and you know different things. This was the first me and you in a little while. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, this is, I had to look this up. I was reading a book, a really entertaining book called Fall, F-A-L-L, by Neil Stevenson. And there's a lot going on in this book. And entirely, a, a, a total aside, like, not, not having really anything to do with the plot at all, there's reference to the fact that California, do you know where California got its name, Matthew? I'm not sure, Shafee. In this book, it, it like I said, like, you know, there's casual reference to the fact that California was named after a fictional island uh, populated by Amazon Amazonian warriors. Oh. And I stopped. I was like, what? <laughs> I hadn't. I, you know, like, California just it sounds like it sounds like some kind of Spanish word or Spanish. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's down to me, you know. Yeah. There was never any question. It was named after like a, a, a Spanish conquistador's beloved auntie or something, mm -hmm. you know. California, uh, yeah. Tia California. So I had this, and sure enough, this is I found on the History Channel webpage nine things you may not know about California. So maybe we can explore the other ones too. But number one is California's name is derived from a best-selling novel. In 1510, Spanish author Garcia Rodriguez de Montalvo penned Las Cergas de Esplandian, which uh, translates to The Deeds of Esplandian, uh, a novel in which Amazon-like warriors who lived on the island of California, a paradise that abounded with gold and precious stones, aided the protagonist Esplandian. The story was so popular that when Spanish explorers under the command of Hernan Cortez landed on what they believed to be an island on the Pacific coast, they named it California after Montavo's mythical island. Uh, <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, California yeah. just keeps being cool. Yeah, well, that's a, there, what is it Travis Bickle says in, a, in Taxi Driver? Or, no, it's like it's not his character. It's one of the other taxi driver characters in the movie Taxi Driver. It's like they, they're a little bit of, they're just a little bit ahead over there. Um. <laughs> Sacramento was number two. I think this is not nearly as interesting as number one. Sacramento wasn't the California's 
original state capital. Uh, that was San Jose. Didn't we have that same thing here in Texas? We had Waterloo on the Brazos. Oh, wait, is that that's Austin, right? <laughs> well, no, Austin. No, no, Waterloo on the Brazos was like the original state capital, and then it got moved to Austin. But Washington Austin? on the Brazos. Washington on the Brazos. We, uh, we uh, Wash. Uh, Austin was called Waterloo. It was. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, the Brazos turns through Houston. I think Houston was the original capital, yes. actually. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, capitals moved around a lot. Let's see. Legislators were dissatisfied with their accommodations in San Jose. And they ex accepted an offer to move 60 miles north to Vallejo. However, they found uh, they, they weren't able to build to suit them in Vallejo, apparently. And... Uh, then they moved it to uh, Sacramento. Not that interesting. Did you know that California wants to declare itself an independent country for one month? No. Can we do that again? Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, we always talk about Texas doing that here, but apparently, yeah, um, in 1846, June 14, 1846, American settlers in Sonoma rose up against Mexican authorities who governed the territory and declared the establishment of the independent California Republic. Rebels fashioned a makeshift flag with a lone red star and a crew drawing of a grizzly bear. Unbeknownst the leaders of what became known as the Bear Flag Revolt, however, the United States had already declared war to Mexico. Mexico. American Commodore John D. Sloat seized Monterey and raised an American flag over the city. The rebels gave up their notion of independence only weeks after it began, declared their allegiance to the United States. Good show, lads. Uh, the grizzly bear on the California state flag was modeled after one captured by William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Huh. Uh, in, in 1889, newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst dispatched one of his journalists, Alan Kelly, to capture him a wild grizzly bear so he could put it on display in San Francisco. Can you imagine? <laughs> What an errand to be on. <laughs> go, uh, go wander out there in the woods and get me a grizzly bear, would you? And you're like, all right, boss, you know, whatever you say, I got uh, to impress the boss, make that promotion. I mean, pretty powerful guy. Like, I don't think you want to fail William Randolph Hearst. No, really right? not. When uh, you want to go out and get that bear. Kelly had no hunting experience. Uh, he managed to lead an expedition that netted his boss an elusive grizzly. All from all the disappeared from the state by that time. See, he got him a guy. He did subcontracting. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the way to do that, definitely. He, but even even that seems a tall order. Find a guy who knows how to capture a live grizzly bear. I guess now you got uh, poison tip darts and such, but back then it seems like it was talk about fraught with peril. What else? Tell us more about California. Have I ever told you that I love California? Uh, Go back to Russia. I'm, um, I'm a fan of California. Too. Yeah. And uh, I hate that it's on fire. Fun fact. California has both the highest and the lowest point in the continental United States. What? 
Uh, the snow-capped summit of Mount Whitney is the highest peak in the contiguous United States at 14,505 feet. I mean, how is that possible? Like, there's the Rockies running through the middle of the country. Yeah, I definitely think get that... the Rockies somewhere. <sighs> That's blowing my mind. And then the lowest point, obviously, Death Valley. You got it. 282 feet below sea level, which that is bananas, too. 300 feet below sea level. It seems like if you shook the earth just right, that the sea would spill into the into there. There must be quite a bowl. <laughs> uh, let's see here. This is an interesting little headline. Number eight, dead people are no longer welcome in San Francisco. I did not know that. They're not burying anybody in San Fran, huh? Oh, did I just call it San Fran? But that sounds like somebody who's never been there before. Yeah, they call it the city. Right. You also don't don't call it Frisco. They don't like that. Don't call it Frisco. When land became more precious and concerns about public health increased in San Francisco at the turn of the 20th century, the city outlawed burials. In 1912, San Francisco went a step further and evicted its dead. Many of them were moved to the adjacent municipality of Como, where today the deceased residents outnumber the living ones by a thousand to one. Oh, that's interesting. Colma City of the Dead. Yeah, you know, San Francisco's like seven miles square. Yeah, I know it's very small. And it has the lowest average temperature of oh. anywhere, including Alaska. Oh, yeah! Wow, that is interesting. Yeah, huh. the, the average temperature over an entire year, because Alaska can get quite hot, actually. Sometimes on days like today, I like to torture myself. I go on my iPhone and I go on the weather, and I've got San Francisco oh. one of the cities, and I just go and I look at the forecast. Matthew, I have a whole list. I have ten fantasy cities that I. You ever? Sometimes I find myself looking at things like. Krakow, Poland, like, oh, it's, it's like high of 60 in, in Poland today. Is that a thing that lots of people do or just me and you? <laughs> I don't know. I bet a lot of people do it, actually. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty cool that we can do that sort of thing with our phones these days. Yeah, I guess. I love when I'm reading uh, if somebody talk, if somebody talks about you know a, a place i love that i can go to google earth and immediately look at that place and orient that place um powerful powerful tools this reminds me of another downer topic man um <laughs> <laughs> this is the downer episode um like the internet you know and our phones like the power you know, but like when I, I, it's hard for me to like laud the good things when I know they're the same tools spreading misinformation, like masks don't really work. And, and I remember when we, in the early aught aughts and we both were caught up in the, the blogosphere and the, and the, the wave of blogging. And it was seemed like this powerful tool where you're like, wow, power to the people. Anybody can publish. Yeah, just didn't really think of the ramifications of that. 
<laughs> and now we're living the dystopian present of the ramifications of any crackpot being able to say whatever they want. And like, I think that there are just like, you know, there are forces of mischief in the world. And I think there are people whose lives, I guess, are just, their, their life is about chaos and mischief. Like imagine the all the people that are out there trying to scam people with phishing and and all the robocalls and all the all the scams that go on all the time, you know, like there are people who just wake up every day and think, how am I going to scam some dummy? And they're just doing it all the time. And it's not just pickpocketing. It's not just small time pickpockets. It's like, I'm going to convince all these people that this guy is the guy you should vote for. <laughs> oh, fuck. You, I remember when I was younger and I, I'm, I looked at the, at the Holocaust of World War II and I thought, how could something like that happen? How could it happen? And now I see how, how it can happen. You just, it's yeah. just, I guess it's just an ebb and flow of good yeah. and evil. Uh, you know, that's how I try to look at it. You know, evil rises and good, good rises to meet it, and then there's a conflagration, and then you know, and then there's some peace, and and then it all just starts again. I think so. That's how I'm feeling today. That's the kind of vibe that I brought to this podcast. It was one of those existential, how did the Holocaust happen? <laughs> Showtime? Uh, how, how did the Holocaust happen? Uh, I was thinking, Matthew, do you consider yourself the patriarch of Downerton Abbey? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, I'm, I'm the Downager Countess. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that worked. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I, don't think that, I don't think that worked at all. I think it does. I think it does and it will. <laughs> Let's just get it all out in this episode so we don't feel like we have to bring it to the next episode. Do you want to do you want to bum the listenership out with anything? Yeah, I mean I feel like I you know I've got I mean I've done a good job of like bringing up friends of mine who have passed away at every in like every oh, episode. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. Yeah, you Yeah, you were already on a roll with that. I appreciate you being there for me when when magical nation I uh I have I've got it all out I think, you know. And yeah, as far as yeah, this 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 shit hurricane of evil that we seem to be involved in, uh, you know, I guess that'll make the uh, that'll make when the clouds part and the sun shines all the more wonderful. Those rainbows of of happiness um, that will be shooting out of our eyes when we triumph over evil. Remember the 50s, the 1950s in America? I don't because I wasn't born. But you have a but you have a concept of like what I, it was and I am aware that before the 70s there was the 60s and then before that was the 50s. Yeah. Uh and I know some people really some people really put that decade up on a pedestal, don't they? Well, uh, the greatest generation, they do. Those people, those people are not African Americans, right? 
Um, Listen, we grew up in the greatest time ever. The 19 friggin' 80s. Matthew, I just, I mean, I wish I had, <laughs> I wish I just had maybe a 10-year head start. Like, I would have liked to have been. Oh, yeah? I would have liked to have been 22 years old in 1972. Uh, yeah, that. okay, right. Well, sure. that's actually, that's actually, my mom and dad are exactly like that. I just, they, like, you know, after, first of all, after the sexual revolution, but before AIDS, like, that's a really nice spot to be in. Right. Um, but just, you know, all the, all the rock and roll and, you know, that was like, when you hear about, like, the cliche about, like, hitchhiking to L.A. and, you know, starting a band or hitchhiking to L.A. and breaking into the movie business or, you know, uh, Moving that's when that stuff was actually happening. You know, that's the reason that there are those there are those uh those cliches now. Um I have a book, uh Dickie got me a book called Rock Me on the Water that's uh that's all about nineteen seventy four and what just a watershed year that was for American culture. Hmm. Um, so I will read it and get back to you about that. Uh, I'll tell you, it starts off, though, it starts off with David Geffen's surprise 40th birthday party mm. uh, or something like that, or 30th birthday party. I don't know. At a, it was at, like, the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. I bet that was and, quite a party. <laughs> it was. Let's see here. Bob Dylan played, um, and I want to say maybe Fleetwood Mac. I don't know. It was, and then Cher. I don't know. It was basically like three of the biggest stars, uh, you know, in music. Uh, you know, over the last last year, they were like, you know, they were playing his surprise birthday party. And, you know, like, Bob Dylan, he's not somebody who just does that for anybody. <laughs> sure. Bob Dylan has always done whatever the hell he wanted, so. Well, the head of a record label, you know. Yeah. In the, in the old paradigm of a music business. Um, it's funny when you talk about uh, not quite being a man of your time. Usually what you mean is... You know, I, I should have been born in the Renaissance or <laughs> I, I, ancient Rome was really for me. You're like, no, I would just wish I'd born been born 15 years earlier. And uh, then I would have been in the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. And then the 80s, like I would have liked to have done the 70s in Southern California. And then moved to New York in the 80s when it was still, you know, really weird and wild. Um. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then back to Texas in the nineties to uh, to uh, relax, relax with William. Uh, I I think I was born in just the right time. I I grew up in the eighties when there was this illusion of grandeur in America, and there was this promise of a of a brilliant future, and I would I was able to see that start to crumble. And the whole technological revolution, and then like, 
really feeling like a progressivist and seeing computers making music and yeah that's being cool. a part of all of that and then you know getting being part of austin as it really came into its own as the greatest boom town in a whole generation <laughs> and then and then becoming co-hosts of this podcast i'm just right. right where i need to be even though i'm having kind of a kind of a tough day in terms of you know the pandemic and the heat and the dying pecan uh, you know uh, i gotta tell you yeah what what the turns of events that led us to one magical hour means that you know everything's been done more more or less exactly right um, i like to, i like to at least shoot for that feeling in my life sometimes i really do feel that way like like right where i need to be moment of clarity uh transcendent moment where you like there's this micro macro and you realize you're right where you need to be I've had loads of those experiences. I try to keep that going for myself. You know. And I think you really, you really got a point about like for us growing up, you know, coming into consciousness and growing up in the eighties and nineties, like we really had, you know, nothing to worry about. Like in the seventies, yeah. there was still like the, you know, the kind of upheavals in the post to Vietnam, uh, you know, kind of, kind of paranoia and all, you know, and it's like, you know, maybe it's still, still a little more cold war and like red scare happening. Um, but you know, the eighties and nineties, like that was just the time, like even like George Bush going to war with the first desert storm was like, that seemed like a joke of a war. Yeah. You know, it does, it doesn't anymore now that it's been going on for 30 fucking years. Thanks oh, that, oh, that was the other dictator on that um, program. Oh, yeah. Saddam, Saddam, Saddam Hussein. Saddam. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we grew up in a sort of an unprecedented, peaceful time after the Vietnam War. And then, but now, now things seem almost as hectic, I think. But maybe, maybe that's my the supercomputer in my pocket lying to me. I think I think you might be right. Which is fun too. Um, there's peace. There's war. You can't have peace without war. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Uh, Go on. Read a poem, GD. I have a poem. Yeah. I was just my friend and lover and another friend of ours, Anselm Berrigan, uh, came up. And uh, I'm very fond of Anselm. He's a very, very cool guy. Always, uh, he does a lot of work for poetry and, you know, and kind of advancing poetry uh just in every way like helping out helping out poets to get published but also just generally uh you know he's a he's a historian of poetry he's a he's an editor of you know literary magazines just uh, and all around really cool dude so i thought i would read 
this uh, this poem by him, and it's kind of a it's kind of a prose poem that you can imagine in your head. I like prose poems. I do too. Uh, so Anselm Berry, and this is let us sample protection together. When I was little, I cut off the heads of many lords. I can't count on the energy that took to rise in me at will, but I've strengthened my ability to make a stand firm surface. A steady gaze will drive conflicted information away, back to the abyss from whence it came, but I'll be right here the morning after, wrecked in a private shame too awful to admit, and of no consequence at all. I work very hard not to let myself go. Any channel can tell. Due process appears in beauty and misgiving at once, an agility born from creative malice, a benign insecurity. The plain truth? I forget the curtains are open sometimes, and the hands wander. The room stares back from its things. They understand the end of the world will not waste time feeling your pain, and everything tragic in between need not be known. I don't want love or remorse to follow. I want them in the way. Things to burst through, corollaries to be roped and tackled by surprise, get killed, and thank you. One faith transforms into another, but I won't touch that bandage story. I won't belong to this scripted conversation, though I may play along. Identity theft accepting renewal orders, copycat preemptive attacks, an obscure murder, an obscure murder sitting on the public ride by sight, the victim of a John Donut pining for leadership from the passenger seat. The threat of meaning reassures. I know it's being made for me. Am I supposed to believe we're receiving information? Can I defect back to curiosity in the moonlight, stone rabbit? Hit on by echo, I go cold for the love of my own exile. And while I hope my flesh explodes into an arrangement of stars pestered by darkness, those aren't birds you hear just their corresponding holes in the sky. All the bottled water isn't fooling anyone. We have a knack for matching the poem to the episode. I was going to say that. Yeah, I felt like, wow, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah, I think when we listen back, I have this fantasy of however this ends, at some point, all good things come to an end, and we're older men, and we're we get together, and we're just listening to a few episodes. I think it's going to jump out to us how, by the seat of our pants, we <laughs> we found poems that exactly matched the mood of each episode. Thank you, Anselm, for that unauthorized use of your poem. Uh, once again. <laughs> And thank you, One Magical Nation, for listening to us. Uh, you could uh, you can look Anselm up and buy his book on the internet if you like, Anselm Bergen. Uh You can also reach out to us via various channels. I think you know what they are. And uh, we would love to hear from you. So how things are going, how you're dealing with all that's going on in this crazy world right now. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I hope that uh, you're not too bummed after everything I talked about. And uh, <laughs> therapeutic, therapy. You know, I, I I'd tell you to go give us a review on the internet, but who cares? 
I mean, yeah, but, the seas are rising, everything's burning. There's... Have you checked the reviews? No, I haven't. I haven't, but I doubt we have any more because I don't know. Things are just stasis right now. People are people have better things to do first than listen to us, and second to go write a go write a review. Listen, we love you. I love you, Shafi. I love you too, buddy. Everybody, hold tight. It's probably going to be okay. <laughs> and remember, the poorer the choices, the sweeter the lie. Wait, did I give it that right? <laughs> no, that's not right. Our 27 ratings, is that the... Well, evil said stupid, you look like you could use a friend. And Stupid says, that's great, I ain't never had me one of them. Then Stupid said that evil, how does this friendship work? And evil says, it's easy, you just stick your head down in the dirt. So Stupid dug a hole and stuck his head down in the sand. And evil had free reign to carry out his wicked plans. saw that stupid was truly stupid and he had time to tear the world apart and split the people into tribes he said that war can have a winner and that greed is not a sin and that man can judge another man by the color of his skin and all the while stupid sat while the world burned to the ground thinking gee well ain't it nice to have fun around Followed evil and that was nowhere to escape.